If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. That is the theme song we lovingly refer to as the Kraftwerk theme, and it is far more deserving of a Grammy record of the year, in my opinion, than some of the songs we'll be talking about today. But first, let me reintroduce myself. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here with the um, ear-burrowing, span-flandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hey, Mark. We are the songs... We are the sufferers. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, tr- truly, truly. T- shut up, and has never been more um, more relevant than now. Shut up, and. Um. So, uh, welcome back to episode two of our record of the year showdown season, in which we are selecting the most worthy or you know least repellent of um, all sixty four record of the year winners at the Grammys. Mark, which year range are we confronting today? Today, we are going to be diving into 19, the Grammys that were handed out for Record of the Year from 1975 to 1990. Uh, that starts with I Honestly Love You and takes us all the way through Wind Beneath My Wings. Yeah, it, it sure does. Um we have a lot to say, so let's get to it. But if you have just arrived at our podcast, first of all, welcome. Second of all, there is much more information to be had at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash where you get to vote on this stuff as well if you are a Patreon supporter. Um, but basically, this is kind of like a March Madness, March Mastass thing, but we simplified the voting to just be up or down voting. Um with half of the selected songs moving on. And I hope that the first song that we talk about is not moving on because (laughs) we just had to deal with this soggy mess in the WMST Moist FM season. I am speaking, of course, of the late, great Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You. I mean, not to speak ill of the dead, but it's not... It's not her fault that this song was so popular. Uh, I mean, I hesitated to pull a clip, but I did pull a little a little one because 
well, you'll see. Because you're Let's, afraid that some of the listeners are having trouble getting to sleep. <laughs> it's true. Um, get out that uh, voice recorder function on your phone and prepare to be lulled into submission by this clip. I honestly love you. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. Too late. What you're making me is um, extremely annoyed and scared that this song won record over of the year over contenders like Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by Sir Elton John and Help Me by Joni Mitchell. What? The Buckshot La Funk was happening. <laughs> At the Academy. I I I just don't understand. I I mean, okay, look, they have a predilection for selecting ballads. Great, fine. Mm -hmm. But Help Me and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me are also both ballads. And they're both, they're they're ballads with oomph in them. I mean, Help Me is arguably mid-tempo, but whatever. Those songs are both good songs. Yeah. In fact, arguably, they're spectacular songs. We've talked about Help Me on this show before. Yeah. They're they're just really, really fantastic. And then, like you said, Olivia Newton-John, late and great. Many songs recorded by Olivia Newton-John are excellent. This is not one of those songs. No, it's it's just not. And no disrespect to her performance, which she makes the most meal she can out of a bowl of like liquid saccharin but that's that's what it is and i i feel like in the clip that i pulled you can almost hear her being like well (laughs) here we go like she commits to it again this is no disrespect to the late onj but um n-o-p-e from me this is not moving on for me you that would be uh, 10-4, good buddy. I am also not letting this song move any further in my heart, mind, life, or podcast. And yeah. I'm happy to report that the listeners agreed. So that's zero points for Olivia Newton-John's I okay. Honestly Love You. Okay. Just, uh, just a reminder, in case you didn't listen to episode one yet, the way that we assign points to see who's moving on is that if it is in your top half, either me or for Mark, or for you, the listeners who already voted. Um, On Patreon. Right. It gets two points. And if it doesn't, it gets no points. And um, we we weren't confronted by a tie issue in the last episode, but we'll see how it goes this time. um, I don't think I Honestly Love You is going to be on any bubble but a soap bubble, and that's (laughs) just fine. Let this be the last time we... (laughs) collectively speak of it on this podcast (laughs) it's like you know what we should do let's rank songs with honestly in the title like god damn it (laughs) (laughs) restless ghost of olivia newton john okay um do you have any more chart facts or anything to share about um the year in music 1975 or shall we move on uh i think we can move on we've we've danced on the grave of this particular song uh, in two different episodes now <laughs> yes we we have and and that can be that can be enough um moving on to the 1976 record of the year winner love will keep us together by captain Antoniel, producer daryl dragon aka the captain 
Um, this song, I don't think I had really sat with this song in like decades. And at first for me, it was really smacking of this grimly determined post Watergate um, up with people positivity. But the longer the song went on, the the more I thought well of it. Um, I'm going to play a clip and then we can talk about how you, Mark, received this song. Great. I'm so glad that you kept the opening of that bridge where she says young and beautiful, but someday your looks will be gone. When the others turn you off, who will be turning you on? I will. I will. I will. I, will. I had never noticed before that there is a dark anger in this song. Yeah. And she's basically like, don't fuck around on me. I will kill you, basically. It's kind of like the song Silver Springs by Fleetwood Mac, where it's like, I love you so much that I am filled with rage. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know what? Don't you dare fuck around on me, because when you're old and gross, I'm the only one who's still going to suck your shriveled up little dick. So you better show me some respect right now. Fuck you. (laughs) Here's a chorus. I really could not say it better. Um, I must say... This vocal is stealth impressive, especially in uh, in that bridge. Like, um, she really has this effortlessness to to her delivery and to, um, like, she doesn't let that rage sort of overcome her. And there is absolutely a place for that in the pop songbook. Yes. But she, but like, this um, arrangement is not about that and she gets it. There are like a couple too many accessories going on, like the wow and twow, like just a, lo- a lot of um, Casio twanging happening in uh, Daryl Dragon's um, mental life in the background that tends to obscure how good the vocal is. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also underrated for the storytelling, like the the lyrics and the rhyme scheme are very... Um, elegantly designed uh the pace is perfect uh i going into this was like this beat um lion eyes what this beat rhinestone cowboy like there were a lot of other nominees in this uh category that i was like love will keep us together seriously disco era but looking back on it from the you know vantage point of having prepped the song for what we do, I'm okay with the win. Yeah, honestly, this is in my top half easily. Moving on, how about you? I agree with you, and I just want to note that the song was written and originally recorded by Neil Sedaka. <laughs> Ooh, and well, yeah, no. <laughs> the the original version of the song is a man talking to a woman. 
And I feel like it becomes a different song when that is the perspective. Yeah. A, a kind of creepy, toxic mask. Yeah. But song? somehow, I mean, listen, cultural double standards being what they are, when a woman is saying it to a man, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge men's rights listeners that we may have. I'm going to acknowledge that that is a <laughs> First of all, standard. beat it. As it were, we'll get to that one. <laughs> yes, we will. But I'm good. So I acknowledge that that is a double standard and it's probably hypocritical. But oh, well, I also want to acknowledge that because I read that Yacht Rock oral history book. Uh huh. Tony Tennille is kind of one of my heroes of 70s pop because she's such a superstar in that book. Yeah. The the sort of calm, rational perspective that she has on this whole period when she's like yeah i sang music that a lot of people think is cheesy i also sang backup on a pink floyd album i got paid every time goodbye (laughs) yeah i also i lived like she is one of the few participants in that book and the um sort of other end of the spectrum of this is um chief and in charge himself john Oates. there is a lot of defensiveness in that book. Yes. She's like, look, it was the seventies. You were just trying to get from one end of your rotary phone. Goddamn day to the other. (laughs) I think that she did it. And I also own an Island in the Gulf of Mexico. Goodbye. I think she's one of the ones who acknowledges how terrible the clothes were. And it's like, great. Um, anyway, all that being said, yes. Oh, and finally, this song was number one on the day that David Gregory Byrne was born. Uh, brother of my husband Andrew and writer performer of many of the fine Mastis themes that you've heard over the years. Yeah, um, that's that's a good one. That yeah. that fits. I feel. Uh, anyway, yes, like you, Sarah, this song is easily in my top half, and it was also in the top half for the listeners, which means that all three voting blocks give it two points. It is a perfect six for Excellent. love will keep us together. Excellent. Um. We're moving on now to the 77 entry, which, uh, okay, <laughs> I, I I didn't want to have as little use for This Masquerade by George Benson as I did, but my first note was eight minutes, bitch, and <laughs> it didn't really get better from there. Like, t- we don't have a clip of this, but to Who has me- time? This sounded like on Broadway, Earth, Wind and Fire, September and Carol King's It's Too Late had a lumpen jazz child um, and they were in labor for, you know, a week to do it. And there are just better, more disciplined songs from this era to choose from. Like I kind of... (laughs) When the Grammys have their shit together and are um, and are acknowledging artists of color and sort of different disciplines within pop that are not this safe Lawrence Welk adaptable, Anodyne. yeah, yeah, like um, so inoffensive as to be kind of curdled um, pudding shit. Like, I I don't want to be sort of retrospectively discouraging. And the other thing about 1977 is that um, looking at the other nominees, 
It was um, slim pickings in this year. Yeah, it was. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of Zwieback. <laughs> the the other nominees for that year were Afternoon Delight by Starland Vocal Band, a group that is synonymous with the concept of the curse of winning best new artist. Uh-huh. Um, I write the songs by Barry Manilow, and uh, I think that I I just. I can't. I just can't. And, uh, <laughs> and if you think that that song is insipid, well, don't forget "If You Leave Me Now" by Chicago, one yeah. of the most insipid songs of all time. The only remaining nominee, and I think by default the winner for me that year, is "50 Ways to Leave Your Lover" by Paul Simon. But even that is not my favorite Paul Simon song. And yeah, if I had to throw um, any Paul Simon songs in a volcano, there are a handful that could go, and that would be. <laughs> you know hit hit the road well and Slack. i just want to note that this is also the year that stevie wonder won album of the year for songs in the key of life yeah. meaning that the grammys could have nominated i wish or sir duke for record of the year and yeah. they did not what what, uh... <laughs> what the fuck they gave the album album of the year but they weren't like you know what i wish is actually it actually is so much better than these songs that it's kind of like Mariah Carey saying, I don't know her about every yeah. other song on this list. But oh, about oh, yeah. about this masquerade. So I also, listeners, um, as you may or may not know, have a substack called The Lost Songs Project in which I yes. write weekly. I write weekly about top 10 hits that now have fewer than 10 million streams on Spotify because I'm interested by songs that vanish from the culture after having been popular. And I wrote about this masquerade a few weeks ago because it is, in fact, a Grammy-winning top 10 hit that has fewer than 10 million streams. And I searched high and low for a three-and-a-half-minute edit on YouTube and finally found it. And I do think that at three-and-a-half minutes, this song is better. I think that George Benson is a great singer. Oh, sure. Um, but this song is not as good as on Broadway, or he also has a really good... A early 80s disco-y song called Just Give Me the Night that is oh my uh, God. dope yes. as shit. Yeah. And, uh, but I do think that George Benson is good at making it sound like he's, he creates music that is the sound of your shirt hitting a bearskin rug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. I mean, this is just too tootly and slow. Yes. And I, I think that he, you could sort of feel him trying to um create tension i guess and but again like he has a beautiful instrument but this is one of those like it feels like a past masters win that's like well we didn't give it to you for something else so here you go and it's like dude no well and i guarantee you that this is one of the things that happened until this moment in the 70s george benson had been a, an extremely well-respected jazz instrumentalist Mm-hmm. And this is when he was transitioning into being a singer and all of the people who vote for the Grammys work in the music industry. So I'm sure that there were people who were excited that this guy rose up out of the more anonymous pool of jazz instrumentalists to become a legitimate pop star. And there's a certain thing I would assume where people are voting for one of the boys from our town that made it big. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and kind of like with Carol King uh finally making it big, although Carol King's album and single, as we discussed in the last episode, were brilliant. But yeah. uh yeah, I so to me, it's not 
inexplicable that this song won, but I can't support it either. It's definitely not in my top half this week. No, mine either. And, uh, you know, you look at the other four songs and like them or not, and on balance, I do not. I could sing all of them for you from start to finish. This masquerade, I was like, who? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even I know Skyrockets in Flight. (laughs) Yeah. Afternoon Delight. Oh, boy. Well, Um, the listeners also did uh, decided that George Benson stays where he is. So that's a that's a goose egg for this masquerade as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a shame. You you hate to see it. But um, (laughs) these are the decisions that that we have to make. Um, And I don't think we probably are going to have. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, 1978's record of the year winner was uh, an almost as long song by the Eagles called Hotel California. Heard of it? Um, (laughs) Wait, no. Is is it popular? <laughs> I, I uh, skipped the clip for that reason. Uh, fucking. Newborns. I've never been inside of a Walgreens. I've never heard this song before. <laughs> I I've never been listening to um, FM classic rock radio where the <laughs> DJ had to take a dump <laughs> through yeah, this I, one on. I've never been at a bar and grill at two in the afternoon before the sports come on. Uh-huh. So I've never heard this song before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, newborns can sing this entire thing and do most of um, Don Felder's guitar parts. Um, so I skipped the clip, uh, but it is moving on for me because uh, I'm like, I don't ever actually need to hear it again. Um, the song, it is bloated. But there is a, um, self-serious as it is, there is a um, majesty, I guess. I can't come up with a better word. That's not quite right. But there is a, um, there is a, like, legendary aspect to the construction and build of this song. I'm not convinced it should have won, but it beat Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life. And for that, and it's yeoman <laughs> service. <laughs> We, we, we thank it. <laughs> Seriously. Debbie Boone, uh, just the year after Starland Vocal Band, also won Best New Artist, therefore intensifying the notion of the Best New Artist curse. Yeah. This was, You Let Up My Life was the longest running number one hit of the 70s. It was number one for 10 weeks. And then Debbie Boone proceeded to vanish into the mist like Brigadoon. Yeah. You shite up my life. Um, other nominees included Evergreen, Love Theme from A Star is Born by Barbara, which I don't love it, but I get it. Um, don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue by Crystal Gale, which if I were voting, I would have voted for that. And uh, Blue Bayou by Linda Ronstadt. There was there was some good stuff here. and But I don't have a problem with Hotel California winning, and I didn't have a problem putting it in my top half either. If I had been voting that year, I would have been really torn between Blue Bayou and Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. Mm-hmm. Both of those songs yep. are so good, and the performances of those songs are so good. Um, you know, listeners, if you've been listening to us long enough, you may know <laughs> that the Eagles are a band for which I just have no I have no response. Yeah. They are they are a blank I, it's like a flat line on an EKG. They just, I listened to this song twice in preparation. And of course, as we've noted, I've heard this song a gajillion times, but I just don't care. It does nothing for me. Like 
zero. Therefore, I, here's my here's my feeling about you and the Eagles. Like when you go to the eye doctor and they do that test to see what like if you are colorblind and what kind of colorblind you are, and they just put up the the thing the field of red dots with the green the green number in it. But instead of a number, it's like the head of an eagle that's, that's green. And you're just like, what am I looking at? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing on this page. That's nothing. exactly how I feel. Um, therefore, unsurprisingly, I am not putting this song in my top eight. Okay. Fair. But the listeners are. Okay. So you are aligned with them. And uh, that's four points total for Hotel California, meaning it still has a fighting shot. Mm. All right. Now, I want to say, Sarah... Do we have a clip for Just the Way You Are? By no, we don't, because I love you and the listeners. Well, here's a thing that happened that I wasn't expecting. I love this song, turns out. Wow. What? Okay. Uh, I think I might be the cheese standing alone, because I'll just say, <laughs> spoiler alert, of all 16 songs, this song, Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel, record of the year 1979, got the least votes from the listeners. Wow. The, um, like more people voted for the Olivia Newton-John song than they did for Just the Way You Are. But I mean, I think I was just like in the right headspace. I don't know. Billy Joel got to me. And one of the things I noticed that I had never thought of before is that it, there is something in this vocal that clearly influenced Rufus Wainwright. And I've never thought about that before. Huh. The, the phrasing, the phrasing of the 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 lyrics is very reminiscent of the way that rufus wainwright sings and i just was so struck by that and it made me think well shit billy joel is absolutely someone who has an enormous number of artistic descendants sure and then as i as i listened to the lyrics like this is a really clever lyric it's a very romantic lyric that isn't very schmaltzy it's it, it manages i think to succeed by being pretty unadorned it's not purpley it's just mm -hmm. like i'm just i like you just the way you are I shall want i compare you the thee way to a are. summer's day kind of thing yeah yeah and there's something about his vocal that feels very light and bright to me and he's not putting too much schmaltz on it and i don't know sarah i went in expect and my arms were crossed Mm -hmm. And by the end, one one arm was uncrossed so I could wipe a tear away from uh -huh. the corner of my eye. I just really fell for this song. Uh, I fell for it like this song I've heard so many times. But it, whatever. It really got me this time. And it made me realize that, though I have said before on this show that I'm like kind of not a huge Billy Joel fan, I feel like actually maybe I am. Because you, ages ago now, we talked about Sleeping With The Television On, a uh -huh. fucking great song. All For Lena, great song. Uh, you know, just like a shocker. It turns out Billy Joel has a lot of good songs. And uh, I think that I might be coming around on Billy Joel. So it is in my top eight, even though it got the least votes from the listeners. There we are. Um, Yeah, I sort of split the difference. It, if we had ranked these, I had this at 13. So it's not moving on for me. Um, I get it from a pop endurance standpoint. I get it from a sales standpoint. Um, the from the um, construction is superior to other nominees standpoint. Nope. I mean, it, we've already talked about this and a couple of the other nominees, um, including Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty um, during the Moist FM season. And my issue with just the way you are 
was that first of all, lyrically, um, your your point you're creating the parallel with Rufus Wainwright is fascinating to me. I think you're right on. Um, it doesn't help. I'm not going to change my <laughs> mind, but um, it's that's fascinating to me. And I think that there is that sort of Shakespearean like. Um, I'm not going to dress this up like this is just what enduring love and partnership is like lyrics like even though I might not seem to care um, I don't need clever conversation I don't want to have to work that hard when I get home that I think when we spoke about this during the WMST season it was like really dude like what are you what's the plan here William what what are we doing but I think giving it that um, imputing Shakespearean construction motives to it is perhaps a nicer way to think about it. And this isn't an unsophisticated songwriter. Certainly I don't have a problem with William Joel having a record of the year Grammy. I wish it were not for this. Um, And the, the Casio tootling, I mean, this has just been the subject of so many dedications on Light FM, so many first dances at weddings. I just am oversaturated with just the way you are. And um, my revulsion was immediate. I love William Joel. This song can't hang out. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I will say that when you look at the other nominees, we have Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty, which one of the greatest moments in the history of this podcast is when we were doing the MST season, WMST season, and you went, when, when the sax riff started on the clip, you were like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of these days we're going to do a great opening, like four bars of songs like we're going to do a top 40 openers of all time and baker street's going to be back because that shit is (laughs) so awesome but uh also nominated feel so good by chuck mangione which i've never heard of i don't think is real i i I refuse to investigate i mean it's you have heard it before but you don't like you don't need to investigate it's it's there it existed (laughs) No I do understand that it reached number four on the Hot 100, so I I, I assume it's real. But like, uh, also- it is a sound of my childhood. That here again, the the age difference is like this. That was wallpaper from when I was a kid. That you would have been right. a baby and you wouldn't have known. Right. Um. I don't know how you needed me by Anne Murray escaped our WMST season. I don't but, either. <laughs> but uh, it was nominated. <laughs> that was a number one hit for her. And then you have Sarah for me. The obvious winner of 1979, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Yeah. Like, that's clearly it. That's one of the best songs of the 70s. Like, come on. But I didn't, I wasn't even, in 1979, I would have been like less than a year old when this was happening. I didn't get to vote. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that's not another, like, we feel like disco is, we feel like there's too much disco we feel like it's too quote urban. Um, we don't know what to do with it and it's making us uncomfortable. And Billy Joel is a musician in the in the old school. Like this is a sort of classical pianist. Well, we it's interesting. Reward. It's kind of like the year with Stevie Wonder that I was just talking about, because the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack won album of the year. 
And then Billy Joel for Just The Way You Are won Record and Song of the Year. Just a reminder, Record of the Year goes to the artist and producer. Song of the Year goes to songwriter. So it's like this weird schizophrenia. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that Saturday Night Fever won for album, but it, it Staying Alive also should have won for record. Yeah. No, I agree. Or or Baker Street because, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. If Baker Street had won, I wouldn't be mad. And I'm obviously not mad about just the way you are because I'm moving it on and I've decided I love it. I don't like, like I still would have voted for staying alive, but right. I have no kick with this song having won. And uh. like you said, too, it does seem right and just that Billy Joel should have at least one Grammy for record of the year. Yeah, um, it's it's been a while since we heard a clip and we're not hearing a clip from 1980 either although i will note um the winner of the 1980 record of the year grammy was what a fool believes by the doobie <laughs> brothers and um today as we record this on uh new york times's spelling bee game the word doobie existed and was accepted <laughs> and we texted about it um i listened to this doobies album many times on car trips as a kid Michael McDonald is super easy to mock, but what a strong brand he has. And I I think he's fine with it. With that said, there is really no excuse for this to have beaten The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, for God's sake, which while I was prepping this, I just like went and listened to The Gambler three times in a row because that song is rad. It should not have beaten I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor dance classic um but it did win and there were just enough songs that were more hateful to me that this squeaked <laughs> over the line squeaked over the line at, at number eight for me i think i am gonna be the cheese standing alone on this mark talk to me about los doobies uh, okay, it's worth. I, I'm sort of interested now in what won album of the year in these years. And this year, Billy Joel won album of the year for 52nd Street. Mm, so, okay. I know, like, <laughs> wrong choice, but. Her? <laughs> um, so, doobies. Um, Michael McDonald has a completely distinct instrument. Yes, he does. I don't know that I've ever heard any song he's sung either lead or backing vocals on, and we'll get to that in a second, and thought, ooh, more please. But mm, you do know uh -huh. who you're, it's like that shaggy teddy bear when he sings, you know that he's singing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I can't though. I, <laughs> like, great. Keep it in that falsetto range. Like it's just so crotchless, this song. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a song that's about sex and love and it just is it's a kendall crotch and again yeah the gambler is present mm -hmm. and if you want to talk about a male singer rocking the right beard i think that kenny rogers does rival michael mcdonald in that category as well yes yes he does and i will survive is one of the most famous songs in pop music history so now the uh, I am glad that You Don't Bring Me Flowers by Neil Diamond and Barbara oh. Streisand did not win. Yeah, you, and you really are. I think <laughs> you not having been sort of sentient in a pop music sense at this time in human history is a, a blessing for us all. <laughs> because I remember not being able to escape. And um, 
I don't know, like this would come on the radio and my dad would be like, would you like to know why I don't bring you flowers? <laughs> you won't leave. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's bad. And then uh, Earth, Wind & Fire nominated for After the Love Has Gone, which I actually know first because of Boy George's cover. So mm-hmm. say what you will about that. But no, I could not put this in my top eight, nor could the listeners. So just like me with Billy Joel, you are repping solo for the dubs over here. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Now, the reason I mentioned Michael McDonald singing backup vocals is that he sang very distinct backup vocals on the number two hit Ride Like the Wind by Christopher Cross. And Christopher Cross also had a number one hit from the same album with the song Sailing, which is the winner of the 1981 Grammy for Record of the Year. And in this ceremony, Christopher Cross set a record because he won the Grammys for Record, Song, Album, and Best New Artist. He was the first person to sweep all four major categories. Um, Now, doing that with a song like Sailing, which is the most yacht rock song of all because it is literally just about sailing there's no <laughs> metaphor it's it's just a single entendre song um i i mean the other choices were lady by kenny rogers lady oh. i mean we <laughs> the wmst season comes back again lady um the rose by bet midler which honestly might have gotten my vote just because i think that the lyrics to that song are good and i know this is not a songwriting category but whatever and then fucking frank fucking ass sinatra came back again <laughs> with the theme da, from new york da, 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 da. i'm actually shocked that that did not win i am given- a little shocked also um i think the final nominee, Woman in Love, which did we talk about that on Moist We FM? did. She, she, Woman in Love by Barbara Streisand, written by the uh, Barry Gibb, did in fact make it to WMST. I didn't think it was that moist, but I think I might have voted for this in this category. With that said, again, I was alive and sentient, sort of, you know, barely. I was seven, but whatever. In 1980, when this song, it won for 1981's ceremony, but... In 1980, you could not not hear this song at least once a day. And then by 1982, I'm going to say it was gone. Gone. It was nowhere. Um, But I associate it with being at the beach at my dad's high school friend Woody Odeorn's house in <laughs> like on a lake in Maine getting absolutely devoured by mosquitoes and watching little boats on Lake Damariscotta and I associate that very strongly with this song we do have a clip finally and here is sailing by Christopher Cross it's not melodramatic string thing that's happening throughout the song is not going to be everyone's cup of 
seawater. I get it. <laughs> I think that perhaps having childhood associations with this is helpful for its prospects here. But um, this was my number two overall sailing through uh, with no trouble for me. But I am absolutely going to understand and acknowledge that uh, it's not going to be for everyone. How'd it do otherwise? Well, what I will tell you is that we're going to have a song later that I put through because of childhood associations. We're just human beings. It's a mm-hmm. subjective it's a subjective art that we're practicing here. It's true. Um, I if Arthur's theme had won, I would have put it through. It mm-hmm. was nominated for 1982. It, we'll get to that in a second. But it didn't win. It was sailing that won, and I just can't. So no. Okay. And uh, the listeners couldn't either. So you oh, are, another another cheese. You're alone. rubbing it with the big toosie, <laughs> taking for, a long walk off a short pier for sailing. <laughs> now, next we get to the first song that has won record of the year that I distinctly remember from my own childhood, and I would have been too young when Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes was first to hit, but that song hung on. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about it. You know, Sailing Vanished, Betty Davis Eyes did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my dad loved Kim Carnes. We had his, she had. My dad, my dad loved Kim Carnes too. Yeah. Like, my dad loved her vo- her gravelly voice. He had his, her album, uh, Barking at Airplanes. Like, that tape was always in the car. Like, my dad and your dad, big Kim Carnes fans, and Betty Davis Eyes was also number one for nine weeks. Like this was a huge fucking hit, and uh, I have fun to say, as hell to roller skate too. By the way, so, I, I, well, I mean, this is when you want to get really dramatic on those skates. That's oh when fuck you, yeah! That's Form right. a whip chain with everybody else in the fourth grade. Yeah, <laughs> I also really like the fact that this song was co-written by Jackie DeShannon, who is one of the great underrated pop songwriters. She also wrote "Your Love, Your Love, Your Love Keeps On Lifting Me Higher and High." So I also, and she also wrote um, "Put a Little Love in Your Heart." So. Oh, no. She wrote Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and she had a hit version of Higher and Higher. Anyway, Jackie DeShannon, great. Point is, Betty Davis Eyes, to me, huge thumbs up. It is absolutely in my top eight. Um, mine, too. It uh, would have been my number three if we were doing numbered rankings. Um, when you actually listen to it, do, when you do like the close reading that we do, the lyrical construction is really tight. It's like it seems like a novelty song when you're sort of on first thought looking back at it, but it's built really well. And here's the thing. Other nominees included Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie, which like I would have understood if that one while, you know, injecting myself with insulin. Um, Arthur's theme, like you said, Just the Two of Us by Grover Washington Jr. with Bill Withers, which I mean, also a legit contender and just like starting over by john lennon which i'm a little surprised they didn't wave that one through they didn't um but he did win album of the year that year so again it's like that that conversation is always very interesting to me yep me too um but yeah this was easily easily top half for me did it deserve to win i'm not sure but it um i think is perhaps underrated as a as a prospect, as an award-winning prospect from that era. Yeah, it also won do. it also won song of the year that year. So it like it, it's also one of those hits from the 80s that sounds like the 80s but isn't embarrassing. Yes. That's very well put. Um it's one Did of the, the yeah, listeners agree of, with us. 
Oh, yes, they did. So uh, Betty Davis Eyes now joins Captain and Tennille as uh, another straight six. Great. So, Sarah, next we get to the Grammy Awards of 1983. And I'm wondering how you feel about the ode to Rosanna Arquette, Rosanna, that won the award for Toto. Um, I From what I read, apparently that's a myth, which Rosanna oh, Arquette no. <gasps> was happy to um, perpetuate, that she just like rolled with it. She was fine with it. Oh, well, I it, the, the myth has become fact in my mind, that's for yeah. sure. Um, this is a song, It you know, not to bury the lead, it just missed my cutoff. It's not in my top half, but it was at number nine, so it was close. Um, th- this was a really weird year competition-wise, and I'll let you talk about that in a minute, but this is not... Toto's best song or even Toto's second best song in my opinion it does have its own drum shuffle named after it I read so it is um <laughs> of historic import um the video stars Cynthia uh Rhodes Penny from Dirty Dancing but of course you know the female lead in Staying Alive the sequel to Saturday Night Fever as some of us effortlessly recalled um I'm not living right obviously uh this seems like this time in the Grammy nominate nominating timeline seems like this weird transitional space where people are just trying to figure out what to do with not only new wave, but sixties artists kind of coming back around with newer stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it just wasn't quite there. For me, like I love Toto. Bobby Kimball should probably get more um, propers, historically speaking, for his vocals, which are really good and are f- um, not fighting, but like uh, threatened to get overwhelmed by a lot of production and heavy guitar, and they never do. Um, Toto are like this is a theater kid band for real it's composed i think mostly of like gigging studio musicians yes. which is like formed a whatever one step down from a super group is an extra group <laughs> um yeah i don't we don't have a clip but i just it's just not quite there on any level for me and that it beat willie nelson's always on my mind is a poser, but um why don't you talk about your responses to rosanna and also the absolute dog's buffet of nominees for this for this category because holy shit well i'm first of all toto won album of the year this year and i'm surprised that africa is not the one that got nominated for record but yeah i don't get a vote so Uh, um but toto is another one where like you said it was made up of session musicians and they were one of the they're like a legendary group of session musicians they were on mm -hmm. everybody's fucking album they seriously were if everyone who had ever worked with Toto voted for Toto, they won in a landslide. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the I listened to these songs uh, in chronological order of victory. So I was just so fucking grateful for some tempo. Yeah. By the time Rosanna <laughs> yeah. came on, I was Same. like, oh, my God. Yes, there's like a beat. It's yeah. up the, so that honestly made me rank the song, I think, a little higher because it's just like, oh. Uh, Thank God, because it had been since Captain and Tennille that we were able to get our toes a tap in over here. Yeah. Um, so I actually did put it in my 
top eight. And I will also note that the listeners did. So mm. we're over here feeling our Toto Oats. But uh, you're correct that that year's nominees were insane. Always on my mind by Willie Nelson, which won song of the year. And I just want to note that the producer of Always on My Mind has one of the greatest names yes. of all time. Chips Pro- Moman. <laughs> Chips Moman produced Always on My Mind. Chips Moman. Yeah, uh, either of those. Like Chips Burke is fine and Bill Moman is fine, but Chips Moman. <laughs> I mean, it's everything that you need. Um, also nominated Chariots of Fire by Vangelis. <laughs> The first uh, LP I ever bought was that soundtrack. Bum, <laughs> Don't get bum, up, bum, I'll fire bum, myself. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, that song obviously was a number one hit uh, from an Oscar winner for Best Picture. Like Chariots of Fire theme is probably one of the most persistent hits of the 80s. It may not define the 80s the way that some other songs do in the cultural imagination, but you cannot go very long without hearing that in some montage. Well, and it still is used for satirical purposes. Like everyone cuts to slow-mo in a comedy and and Chevy Chase is just like rolling along a beach like a tumbleweed. I mean, it it has endured parodically, which I think is fine. The movie itself... Um, yeah. Talk yeah. about a sleep aid, Jesus. So then there was also Steppin' Out by Joe Jackson. Uh, I will say that when I was in college, a friend of mine wanted to go see Joe Jackson, and I was like, okay, and he put on a great show. So he, that's That would have gotten my vote in this group, I think, actually. Well, because he's like underappreciated as a musician, I he think. Is. And because then, he looks like Paul Shear. That's the that's the problem. <laughs> so you'll note that before I was notice, noticing that Stevie Wonder didn't get nominated for his 70s hits, the Beatles lost time and again. And then they finally decided to throw a bone to Stevie Wonder. I mean, Stevie Wonder won Album of the Year three times. It's not like he's an under-rewarded artist at the Grammys. Yeah. But he finally breaks through in Grammy of the Year with his execrable duet with Paul McCartney, Ebony and Ivory. That's all I can say. Yeah. You know what I think that song needs to do? Beat it? (laughs) Yes. That is what I think that song needs to do. This is the 1983. No, 1984. This, This is, yes, it's the 1984 ceremony. Yes, because it absolutely beasted the competition. Um, in 1983 it was everywhere it is it when we do that um when we do that uh opening bars season i think that this is just going to destroy the competition <laughs> here's what i mean
Sarah, <gasps> you mentioned before roller skating. This group of nominees has two of the songs that I most clearly associate with my early years roller skating at Roller Coaster Skate World in Chattanooga. Beat It is one of them, and Every Breath You Take by The Police is the other. They were both nominated for Record of the Year. This is also the first group of nominees in this entire season where I've liked every song. I like every song that was nominated for Record of the Year in 1984. Yeah, and you gotta love seeing Giorgio Moroder as a nominee for production and it's a shame because all of these other songs any other year it's like oh yeah done check no problem beat it was my number one overall in this group i still get chills hearing that now like because you know what's coming and what's coming is fucking rad eddie van yeah. halen is killing it the construction of this the build of this like Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, whatever else you think about MJ, and I don't forgive anything, but this is just an all-time send it into space on Voyager 2 banger that has not, like, it It just is, it's perfect. No notes. It's so it, good. It's such a good song. It's such a good song. Yeah, and, it, like, 83 and 84 are some of the most astonishing years in pop music history, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Thriller won Album of the Year this year, obviously. Beat right. It won for Record. Every Breath You Take won for Song. And Culture Club won for Best New Artist. I mean... Come on! Yeah, and it's like, well, alright, even a broken clock is right in 1984? Sure. Okay, I'll take it. And the other nominees, as you mentioned... Uh, flash dance what a feeling every breath you take all night long by lionel richie which is just the perfect amount of lionel richie cheese yes and fucking maniac by michael cimbello who produced rico suave that we recently talked about but oh my (laughs) god like these are some dope ass songs yes and they all have that quality that you were talking about when we were talking about the previous song which is they sound like when they're from but not in that dated way Yes. It just opens a window into the culture at that time without letting in a bunch of musty grandma smell, which is all you can like the best thing that you can say about an old song. Yeah. And in this two year period, you have all these songs, all the songs that got nominated the next year, which are also all good. You've got Madonna's first album coming out like shit was on point. Even fucking Ghostbusters came out at this time, which is, you know, I'm not mad at that. Oh, yeah. So obviously no no question, no brainer. The listeners and I also gave two points to beat it. It sails through a straight six. Mm, not surprising. Um, I don't think that we're going to see much problem with the next one. I could be wrong about that. We don't have oh, a clip no. of what's love got to do with that with it by Tina Turner. But I mean, I think we've talked about the song before way back in the mists of 2017. I think we talked about. Tina? Probably. I'll just say this. This is the song that got the most votes from the listeners. It's What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. And I mean, like, I I still love this song. I'm not totally sure it should have won. But, but that just speaks to the strength of the songs that were nominated in 85. This is like this chunk 
of um, nominees in the mid 80s is like the daily roster on MTV, which I was watching every second that my mother was not in the room, because as you may recall, it was not permitted in my home. Right. It's just it's just so good in that same way that um, that beat it is good. Like the the build is so it's just a perfect egg of a pop song. And um, I I wonder if the comeback quality of Tina Turner's career at this point maybe gave her an edge here. Oh, hell yeah. That this is the Academy being like, um, yeah, we're sorry that nobody called the cops on Ike back in the day. Here's this. You've been deserving it, which is true. Um, but yeah, I have no kick with this win. Um, yeah, this I mean, the this opener is like extremely 1985, but in a sort of it locates you there way and not in a ooh way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sailed through for me. And just a few years before this song, Tina Turner had been struggling to pay her bills. Like, yeah, the, the, yep, the yep. story is irresistible. And it's like, but you hear this song now and it doesn't sound like a pity win. It's like. No, this song is fucking awesome. Uh, It was up against Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. Like those three fucking songs right there. Stop. And then I feel like you do get the second tier of nominees. But I still like these songs. This is Hard Habit to Break by Chicago and The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis. Like those are also good. So we have 10 good nominees. And here's David Foster. Hey. I know he will not be denied, Mister um, Catherine McVeigh, and uh, he wins later. So you know, no mm. no tears for him. Uh, but this is like two really great years, and no question for me either. This sailed through. I feel like that. What's love got to do with it is a contender to win the whole thing. Frankly, the whole season. Yeah, could be. I think beat it and what's love got to do with it are strong contenders to win the whole thing. I agree. Now, I'll tell you what isn't a strong contender to win the whole thing, unless we're doing a contest for song that makes me the most disgusted. Fucking We Are the Fucking World by USA for Africa won the Grammy. It was a big hit in 1985, and at the 1986 Grammys, We Are the World won the Grammys for record and song of the year. What the actual fuck? I, of course, understand that the narrative around this song is what made it win. It was the charity aspect. It was all of the celebrities, quote unquote, putting aside their egos to raise money for starving people in Africa. If you voted for this song for a Grammy, you felt like you were taking a political action. It's the like how you can feel that way if you retweet something. It's the literally the least you can do. But it's a terrible song terrible sarah i hate it so much it's so schmaltzy and terrible and it just goes on for seven fucking minutes it is the longest running in terms of actual runtime uh winner for record of the year over seven fucking minutes just so they can let fucking dan Aykroyd in the chorus just sing a few more lines no and one of the things that makes me hate this song so much is how insidiously catchy it is yeah the chorus to we are the world gets stuck in your head and you're just like well here i am i am starving for good music but this song is not letting me eat as unsurprisingly this is not my top eight um mine either it's probably higher than it should be but it is a relentless earwig and in case you by design and quite correctly also have uh avoided this franken sing-along that should have been given its own special award 
at the Grammys and Video Music Awards and whatever else, because with all my respect for Quincy Jones and Harry Belafonte and their efforts and the good intentions of everyone involved, this kind of shit should not be allowed to swamp the boat of legitimate contenders with its wave of diabetic uh, saccharin. We are the world. <laughs> we are the children. Go lie down. We are the one to make a brighter day. So let's not give in. Shut up, Anne. Just I mean, Sydney Lauper like barreling in there. Good God. Yeah. But they're all doing that. Like they're all absolutely exploding because they feel like they need to register. Um, Michael Jackson's vocal, not this part, but on balance in the chorus is so insipid and like creepy and childlike. Ugh. Um yeah. Bruce Springsteen was parodied for this for decades correctly. I think he's actually on record as being like, yeah, that was too much. <laughs> that was too much for that shit. But like, here's the thing. Bruce was also nominated for Born in the USA, which is not the best from that album, but whatever. The Boys of Goddamn Summer by Don Henley, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, and The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. Not all of these songs are for everyone. Every single one of them is 15 times the song that We Are the World is. And because We Are the World was, like, it couldn't have existed without MTV. And it was on MTV seven or eight times a day. And it is seven minutes long, and the video version is like eight and a half. So that's like two videos that you actually wanted to see whose spot this shit was taking. And I'm still mad that I wasn't getting to see whatever the run to you video twice or run to you and um, a culture club video instead of this shite. Um, or like fucking like a virgin or, yeah. li- or, or, or take on me like literally anything else would have been better. Uh, yeah. Like that Don Henley did not win this Grammy is and I'm sure Don Henley can give you four paragraphs wakened from a sound sleep about how that's an injustice. And for once, I don't disagree with Don yeah. Henley and his string tie. Like, give them a special category for like fundraising or um awareness raising or like whatever you want to do. I again don't want to um I don't want to understate the the um, logistical challenges that were overcome to make this happen. But I'm not sure Bob Dylan knew where he was. And it's just unconscionably long and bad. And I have been singing it for 72 hours. I can't stop. I'm very angry. Who do I sue? I know. Seriously, I cannot get that out of my head. And I'm furious. And 
I may have a flatline response to the Eagles, but I actually like quite a few of Don Henley's solo songs. Yeah, and this, me too. It, the Boys of Summer, and I know we've talked about it on the show before. It's great. It's yeah, savage and insightful and sneakily dark and also quite beautiful and it's just really fucking good and it's better than this shit and, and that no. video was a was an all-timer as well like why just put usa for africa in its own like irving thalberg category you're, you're exactly right that it should have been given a special award so that more legitimate projects could have been awarded here you're absolutely yeah. right i just don't think it's fair to anyone that this because like if we are the world is on the list and you don't vote for it like i at least would have lain awake resenting the position that i had been put in by my fellow academy members like god damn it just start a new category anyway are we gonna have to talk about this again in the future please say no please Hell tell me no, goose egg. because it's a goose egg from from it's a goose egg for usa for africa well look um like good good try everyone and well done but um once this fa- song falls out of my head in i don't know june of this year that needs to be the end of it forever <sighs> to make a brighter day so let's start talking about something else namely higher love by steve winwood which won record of the year in 1987 um this was my dead last song worse than we <laughs> are the world i <clears throat> hate i i mean i hate most of this album actually steve winwood um was in traffic which is a sort of minor band of the 70s and uh, but i like their stuff a lot the the ubiquity of shit from this album songs in the key of whatever the fuck it was called I just, and you could not escape the videos either, just like him in his mid to late 80s, you know, aging rocker mullet and a linen double-breasted jacket the size of a pinto flapping around while he was playing keyboards. There were so many better nominees this year. There are so many better songs on earth. Like, go to the world music category and get some actual fucking reggae instead of this pabulum imitation from a british guy i fucking can't hell no this is how i can best describe my relationship to higher love (laughs) a few years ago i got talked into attending a weekend workshop from something called oneness university oh god this oh jesus Uh, i'll say up front (laughs) i only went to one day of the two days It was one of the most unbearable experiences I've ever had where a bunch of people were performing their enlightenment, but were Mm. obviously all serving their own selfish needs in the language of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you for 40 minutes about the insanity of what I saw that day. But one it was a cult. It was a cult. cult. It was it's a cult. It's a cult that had some space in Union Square for the weekend. (laughs) And I was like, my friend was involved with it. And I was like, sure, I'll go see what this is like. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, One of the things that happened is there was a dance break where we were expected to dance unironically to the song Higher Love. And I love to dance, but I can remember feeling a coldness run through my body when this happened. And I was standing outside of the dance circle, just watching in what had to be 
obvious horror. And I remember that this woman with a sort of frenzy in her eyes came over dancing around and reached out her hand to me and said, come feel the music. And I was just like, no, it kind of like could have came out of me gutturally. So to me, a group of cult members unironically screaming the words, bring me a higher love while leaving me cold with terror pretty much defines my relationship to this song. Yeah. And it is not in my top eight. <laughs> no. I I was tempted to say that it was like 18 out of 16, but it's just regular 16. And y'all know how I love a pop break that's brass instruments, but not this shit. Over and also, it. this is one of three consecutive years when Steve Winwood was nominated in this category. Oh. He was nominated the next year for Back in the High Life again, which is somehow worse than Higher Love. Yeah, it's bad. And then he was nominated in 1989 for Roll With It, a song I don't hate. But I, I don't hate that one either, and it was better than the winner that year. But uh, let's let's get through 1987 first. Uh, actually, let's talk about the other nominees this year. Addicted uh, yes. to Love. Addicted to Love Palmer. by Robert Palmer would have probably gotten my vote out of this group. I, th- I would have gone Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. But, I mean, either is a better choice than Higher Love. Greatest Love of All by Whitney. Great vocal. Don't think it's a great album. Agreed. Actually. And uh, That's What Friends Are For by Dionne Warwick and Friends, which, I mean, it's better than We Are the World. And it's, you know, Carol Bayer Sager. Hey. Okay. Here's the thing. I love That's What Friends Are For. And I don't justify it. I don't defend it. But I love it. It really works on me. Gladys Knight's vocal. I love mm-hmm. it. I, I'm like not proud of that. And I did once at um, <laughs> in a novelty store or like a craft store in Connecticut buy a teddy bear wearing a sweatshirt that says you can't hug your kids too much. And when you squeeze the teddy bear's hand, its mouth moved and a tinny recording of That's What Friends Are For came out of the teddy bear. Oh, like Jesus. that's the kind of song that this is. Mm. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> but, it's it's bad. I like it too though. Oh, anyway, I like it more than Higher Love. Um but here's the thing, Sarah. The listeners did put it in their top 8. <sighs> well, that's a wrap on this podcast. <laughs> All of you get out. <laughs> you know, you just it goes to show that you never can tell let's let's move on shall we yeah (laughs) yes now next we get in 1988 graceland for paul simon is the winner and it's the first instance of a song winning that didn't even reach the top 40 it peaked at number 81 and uh that becomes a to my mind disappointing trend as this category continues but we'll get to that in later episodes but for me graceland the song is actually a fucking masterpiece and i cannot be mad at it it is in my top eight i just love the line my traveling companion is nine years old he is the child of my first marriage and i've reason to believe we both will be received in graceland i just think that is just just one of the best little moments in all of paul simon's songwriting uh we have a clip of that exact moment so let's hear paul talk about it great i'm going to graceland graceland memphis tennessee i'm going to graceland poor boy 
traveling companion is nine years old. He's the child of my first marriage. But I've reason to believe we both will be received in Graceland. I, at first, I looked at the song. I've been living with this album since it came out. It was the very first thing I owned on CD. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked at the song and I was like, her? Like, you know, I don't dislike the song, but like of all the songs on that album, which is like wall to wall, pretty good. But when you give it a close listen, you realize that he's doing a lot of the um, very elegant concentrated sketching that he does in other songs of his that I love, like Renee and Georgette Magritte, where Mm -hmm. when you look at the lyric, you're not actually getting that much, but between the composition, the construction and sort of everything else that you have come to learn um, about Paul Simon as a songwriter from just living in the world in America, um, that you're able to fill everything in. And that economy is so um, elegant and elegiac and beautiful. And especially if you have actually been to Graceland and the way that Elvis and the grounds of Graceland sort of function as this like weird, busted, snacky, secular saints trail for America, this song becomes more and more brilliant the more you realize like what's not in it. And um, right. I was I was pleased to um, come back to the song doing what we do on Mastass versus just as a listener. Um, but yeah, waved through for me. No problem. I agree with you that the song is genius. And it is the third song that Paul Simon uh, wrote that won record of the year because he also, as you might recall from last time, won for Mrs. Robinson and for Bridge Over Troubled Water. But I can't be mad at any of those victories. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just um, Paul Simon is just so good at wistfulness and melancholy he's just so good at it yeah and he very seldom verges into sentiment um there's always like a that note of acid and i also respect that he like there is a boomerosity to his shit that he doesn't deny that he's just like look i'm an old guy i'm a you know i'm in i'm in cooperstown as it were And I'm just going to try some shit and not everybody's going to like it and it's not all going to work. And some of it is really going to seem like appropriation. But I I am he seems like a sort of curious citizen of the world of music that I think that helps. But he also was like, look, I'm old. This is this is what we're doing over here. And I respect that, too. I know. I agree. I just this album is so good. Just Paul Simon, man. So this is a straight six. uh, I'm happy to report. Everybody put this in their top eight. Great. Um, The other nominees this year were (laughs) and uh, the oddest of lots. I think I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Had an argument. And it's nice to see Brian Eno on the nominee list of all things, but like also Uh back in the high life again by Steve Winwood. La Bamba by Los Lobos, which that song is, I mean, it's like basically a, like a Mexican sea shanty. Like it's an old folk song, Yeah, but they killed it. And uh, we all got to learn about Richie Valens again. And then Luca by Suzanne Vega. <laughs> okay, guys. 
Oh, I love that song. You don't I mean, like that? I like that song. It's just like, I mean, the, it's a weird group. It's a very weird group. It is. It is. The The fact that Luca was a hit um, song is just one of the great curiosities of pop music history. And I really appreciate that for it. But um, I think that I will say this. If you 2 had won in 1988, maybe we would have been spared some of the fuckery that's coming later. But I'm just going to put a pin in that for now. <laughs> let's let's move on then to the fuckery of the 1989 ceremony uh, let me just say i'll start by saying this you have one of the greatest songs in the history of pop music nominated in this group i feel mm-hmm. and it is not the winner <laughs> um and you have a uh sort of l- like grant not groundbreaking but like folk revival leading edge song whose build is unquestionable from an artist of color who is also queer and um, that we still know and can sing today. And then there's this. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. (laughs) Be happy. Look at me, I'm happy. Don't worry. Be happy. I give you my phone number. When you worry, call me. I make you happy. Oh, I'll call you all right. Don't worry. Don't worry. So that's... um, So... For those who might not be familiar, that is Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. It was a an out-of-nowhere blockbuster number one hit in 1988. It is pretty distinct for a lot of reasons. It's a purely a cappella number one song, and there aren't that many of those. It is also, Sarah, interestingly, the only number one song ever to be produced solely by a woman who was not also the performer. Linda Goldstein is the name of the woman who produced this song. She is not a performer on Don't Worry, Be Happy. No other song in the history of the Hot 100 has been produced by one woman who was not the performer. So that's interesting. Um, And I'll say this. I feel, Sarah, because I had not heard this song in a very long time. Me neither. I think that Don't Worry, Be Happy is a victim of its success. If this song had been like, a thing that some people knew, I think we could appreciate it as a charming, funny trifle. Bobby McFerrin is a jazz singer who's having fun, mm-hmm. goofing around, but I don't think that the song is good enough <laughs> by a long shot to withstand the cultural pervasiveness that it received. And I feel like people who were alive at that time are still mad about it. <laughs> I yeah, the, my notes are basically, if you were not alive or really sentient when this came out, it is really hard to explain its um, herpes-esque hold on the culture, but it, it actually isn't. Um, it's called Don't Worry, Be Happy, which is like, once someone plays that on a morning drive time show, start spending the money. Because yeah. that it's like perfectly like chirpy, it's perfectly like... Um, some 
uh, candidate for state Senate is going to adopt it as their play on song when they're doing a rally. Like it is designed to do what it's doing. I don't I wouldn't say that McFerrin cynically designed it for this purpose. But if he had, it couldn't have gone better. Um, but it's I mean, just... I have to assume that Bobby McFerrin had no fucking idea. And here's one of the reasons I think nobody predicted this. If they thought, and I, I really believe this, if the record industry thought that this song was going to be a hit, they would never have let a woman produce it by herself. Yeah, agree. Um, and then I think they were sort of caught on the back foot because by the time it even got a video, Bill Irwin and Robin Williams were in this video. So I yeah. feel like that was like, well... Like the um, wave was already starting to crest and they're like, all right, let's get, I mean, Bill Irwin is like a perfect choice (laughs) for this video. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Like, I don't blame anyone involved. And I think even Bobby McFerrin was like, you know, I actually know how to do stuff besides this crappy (laughs) patois. Don't worry. Um, This thing that I was like, I didn't think anyone would maybe ever hear it is now defining me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but then he's like, you know, I'm calling you for my third house in Amagansett. Like, okay, you know what? what? Good, good for you. Except because- Fast Car? Lost? Yeah, that, so this is the song that we were referring to. Fast Car is just a fucking one of the best pop songs of all time. We did a whole episode about it. I think we both cried. Yep. How? How? So now, to the Grammys' credit, that year they did award... Uh, Tracy Chapman with Best New Artist. Like, at least she got something. Yeah. And Album of the Year that year went to Faith by George Michael. So I would like to note, any of the songs from Faith could have been nominated for Record of the Year. (laughs) But instead, this. This. And Fast Car and Man in the Mirror, which, like, all right, your mileage will vary on that. I think it is an enduring pop song, even though I think it's a little much. Roll With It by Steve Winwood, and then Giving You the Best That I Got by Anita Baker is fine, and I'm not angry, but we don't hear it much anymore, and I'm not angry about that either. That's exactly right. It is interesting that four of the five nominees this year were black artists, so, you know, okay, not not mad about that. Um, I'm glad that Linda Goldstein won. She was the first woman to win record of the year as a producer mm-hmm. um in fact i think that other than um i mean i, I can't confirm this right now because i don't have time but not a lot of women were even nominated for this award carol bayer sager was nominated for co-producing that's what friends are for but you know women producers have a hard life in the music industry so thumbs up but oh my god still no i never need to hear this song again it is definitely not in my top eight and it's not in the listeners either nope second to last only uh only ass Winwood was worse for me so that's a big old goose egg for Bobby and that that brings us to uh the last song in this week's episode uh and that is when beneath my wings by Bette Midler yes it is um we do not have a clip um because I for one have this song braided onto my DNA um when you go to a an all-girl school there are a lot of like year end traditions that uh, I mean, it just gets soppy really quickly. Um, and every class has a song and, you know, you hear like the graduating classes song and then you like announce your class's song. Ours, as everyone knows from this podcast was St. Almost Fire. 
Kurt, the <laughs> instrumental theme, barf. Um, but the class of 89's song was Wind Beneath My Wings. So like you're picking your class mascot, you're doing the handoff, it, like step sing is just like they should really have like um, saline drips available because there's so much crying, even though it's a fucking girl school. And some of you have been there for literally your whole lives and you hate it and you need some dick and you're over it. But there's a lot of crying and nostalgia and wind beneath my wings was the sort of handoff song from the class of 89 to the class of 90, which was me. Um. I've never even seen beaches. I don't feel like I need to. I saw this video a gazillion times. I get the drift. She croaked. Everyone said, <laughs> got it. Um, this, and we'll never be rid of it because like many of the songs in this um, that are nominated and win in this category, and like the last one we talked about, I think that it is designed for a certain um, purpose-based <laughs> life in the culture and we will never be rid of it. Um, But I had not heard it since probably, you know, May of 1989. And I was good with that. Um, But this arrangement is just brutalizing. I, I am fascinated by the fact, not only that this beat fine young cannibals and uh, another Don Henley track, Um, I'm grateful that we didn't start the fire didn't win another song I spent a lot of time with for the same girl's school purpose back in the day but like wind beneath my wings is not designed I would say especially well to showcase what Bette Midler does well so I think it's like not ironic but um, compelling let's say from a narrative standpoint um, in the lifespan of the Academy's weird choices that she won for this schmaltz fest. Um, but I actually didn't mind, I didn't clip it, but I didn't mind revisiting it as much as I thought I would. It did not make my top 10, but it was kind of close. It was like number 10, but it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have won. <laughs> it should, even the living years, I feel like is a better song than this. And that song is so bad. Ooh, actually, I really disagree with you. I think The Living Years is so good. Oh, I mean, wow. I love it, and I don't, like, even if it is objectively bad, I don't care. It will make me sob every time. And there were a number of car trips with me and Dan Rogie. Hey, just putting your shit on blast here, where that would come on the radio, and it was like, who's going who's gonna to change it? No one. Who's going to pretend they're not crying? Everyone. <laughs> Yeah. The, the Living Years is one of those songs that if the, if you hear those lyrics at the right time, mm-hmm. you will be in bed crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fetal. Absolutely. <laughs> like, covers up over the head. Um, <laughs> but okay, so uh, this is in my top eight. Okay. And this is what I was referencing at this point 90 minutes ago. This is one of those songs that has such strong childhood associations for me. Yes, we sang sure. this at my at my sixth grade graduation. Okay, so same kind of yeah parallel yes. experience. Gotcha. And I remember very clearly that we sang this and from a distance at my sixth grade graduation. And my mom was like, "I was prepared for from a distance, but I didn't know you were going to sing Wind Beneath My Wings, and that made me cry." I and love I re- from a distance. It's, we're not going to be talking about it this week, but it, it'll be back in episode yeah. three. 
I know I've said this on this show before, but I'm going to say it again. One of my earliest memories of understanding on some level that I was being spoken to by a gay man came when my then sixth grade chorus teacher was preparing us for this graduation concert. And he said, now there are 23 of you, but there's only one Bette Midler. And I yeah, just, that's that's not a that's not a heterosexual man. No, and so I was twelve years old, and I knew enough about myself and the world to understand that that joke got to me in a specific way, but mm-hmm. I didn't quite have the language. But I was like right on the threshold of revelation. Like everyone else that. is like, "The fuck does that mean?" And you're like, "Ha ha, so and true." I, was, I mean, like, what work, queen work? I was just like, right. This was also the year in school. When I was staying in from recess to practice voguing, mm. and I set up the cassette tape insert of the Immaculate Collection like a little shield around my desk. Like I unfolded it so that I could look at all of the pictures of Madonna while I was working. So like your girl was on her way. <laughs> I every time there is a story like this, and you know, I I know most of the stories by now. I'm reminded that you had to specifically come out come of I the know. closet to your parents. I know. It's like, do you know that I stay in from recess so that I can practice voguing? <laughs> Help bless, I to get bless your heart. Oh. I needed to get that shit correct. Oh, anyway, well. Oh, no. I have such a I have such affection for twelve year old me because I was so guileless. I was in this all day gifted program, so it was just me and like eleven other kids, ages second grade through sixth grade. We were doing our own self guided study. We had this one teacher who was there to sort of corral us. It was like a really very important environment for me at this age of my life, where no one was ever shamed for being weird because perforce, if you're in the all day gifted class, you are weird. Yeah. And so you just get to like be yourself in the most liberating way. And so nobody gave a shit. I actually was incredibly popular in this class. It was like the first taste I'd ever had in those four years of being really popular because it turns out that when you are yourself, people like you. So anyway, I was just like given so much freedom to be me, like little gay humanitarian student that I was humanities student that I was. (laughs) And And also a humanitarian. That's right. Yes, People needed to learn how to (laughs) fog. So all of that is all tied up in my my relationship to Wind Beneath My Wings. So yes, it is my in my top eight. I think that's perfectly understandable. And, uh, you know, again, I it moved around a lot for me, but eventually settled underneath Rosanna, as it were. Um, What did the listeners do? And then let's do some arithmetic. The listeners said no. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so this actually creates for us a fairly, a fairly sticky wicket, Sarah, because okay. we have five songs that are straight sixes. Okay. We have two songs that got four points. Okay. And we have, so that's seven. Okay. And then there are five songs that got two points. So we have to make, okay, so let me just tell you that guaranteed to move on to the round of 32. Okay. What's Love Got to Do With It? Great. Hotel California. Great. Beat It. Yep. Betty Davis Eyes. Uh-huh. Graceland. Uh-huh. Rosanna. Uh-huh. And Love Will Keep Us Together. Okay. That's a really interesting mix of songs. Yes. So now competing for the last slot are Just the Way You Are, Higher Love, 
What a fool believes when beneath my wings and sailing. I think that we can make an executive decision that higher love is not going forward. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we run this show, damn it. That leaves us with just the way you are. What a fool believes when beneath my wings and sailing. <sighs> well, I weren't we the Jesus who stood alone on these Yeah, so yeah, it was the listeners who put through higher love, and then it was the it was you and me. I I chose just the way you are, and um, when beneath my wings, and you chose what a fool believes in sailing. So I guess another thing we could do is because it was the listeners who chose higher love. Yeah, we could we could let the the listeners win and move that forward. No, no. Any other song, if this had happened on any other song, any other song. <laughs> I know, I agree. Okay. Okay. So I, I, think I hate, that, I hate it. I hate it. So like I it's think a that person. We, we both have to make a snap judgment. We both need to kill one of our two twos. Okay. So first thing, okay, for me, it's um, when beneath my wings and just the way you are, I, I'm going to just, I'm killing Billy Joel. Okay. And I have Christopher Cross and. Uh, the doobs, doobies. Um, I I gotta kill Los Doob. Sorry. Okay. So Sorry. <laughs> so that leaves us now with one slot remaining for either sailing or wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Just again, we do this to ourselves. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, let me ask you this: Did you did you have any sort of numerical rankings for yourself, kind of privately? yes okay so where was sailing on there sailing was my number like it was my number 12 okay wind beneath my wings was my number 10 so because i despise um because i despise steve winwood um listeners we love you but like you just i can't do it not even for you um and yeah i think that's the fairest way to do it is to sort of look at the our rankings and be like all right right so i guess that means that bet midler squeaks through mm-hmm. but i can't imagine she's making it to the round of 16 but you know what congratulations girl you made it to the round of 32 by the skin of your little teeth <laughs> uh meth was the wind beneath your wings um missy So just to recap, here are the songs that are in this bracket that are moving on to the round of 32. That's What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner, Hotel California by The Eagles, Beat It by Michael Jackson, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes, Paul Simon's Graceland, Toto's Rosanna, Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings, and Captain and Tennille's Love Will Keep Us Together. Well... And That's, they're all going to be in the next in the next round. They will all go up against theme from a summer place. <laughs> oh my god! Well, that's as they say in uh, um, baseball. That's why we play the games, um, listeners. Uh, whether you voted or not, thank you for playing this game with us. Um, we know that this was a very long episode, but we just had so many grievances to air. <laughs> About a charity fundraising single for starving <clears throat> children. So I guess we're both going to hell. Where? <laughs> Roll with it and other selections from the Steve Winwood catalog. <laughs> well, 
also be playing, but um, we hope that you're enjoying this season as much as we're enjoying talking about it, voting on it, thinking about it. And again, patreon.com slash if you want to get more involved in the grammocratic process. Did you ever know that you're my podcast? <laughs> as much as I would like to stay. Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me. And edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastas, where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. we hate this song <laughs> we don't have children <laughs> <laughs> if we did they'd be taken away because we're singing oh god i'm i'm stopping my recording now <laughs> me too Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.